everyone, David here. Just finished up another great session with Mr. Dan Kennedy, got some great content, and let me give you just a little preview about what we talked about on our session today. We were looking at what's happened recently in weeks past with the whole GameStop and Wall Street bets, Reddit's fiasco, and the fact that there's a lot of manipulation going on in the market. Dan talked about the fact that there's two kinds of movement of money. That's voluntary movement. That's what we call free market, free capitalism, free market capitalism, where money's going to move where that money is best used. That's really what happens in free markets. Unfortunately, we do not have true free markets anymore. We have uh, crony capitalism. We have markets that are distorted by big companies, big business, and certainly by government. Dan said that the involuntary movement of money is what I just mentioned. When government tries to subsidize, provide incentives, tries to pick winners and losers by where the money goes. We've seen that in a big way this last year with the pandemic, the PPP loans, the CARES Act, all the money, the trillions of dollars that's been pumped into the marketplace and the government has decided who gets it, who's essential, who's not. There's winners and losers. Same thing has happened in decades past. Same thing happened back in the 2008 downturn where the government decided who are the winners and losers. And this is just something that's there. We can't, even though it's not fair, it's not just, we, we cannot like it. It is what it is. And if we can position ourselves so that we can be in the pathway of some of that egregiously placed money by the government and siphon some of that off, not in an illicit or illegal way, not at all, but just in the course of business, because again, the government leaves big voids. The government tries to save the day. It tries to make people more dependent upon the government. And as they're pushing all this money out, where we're going to have to pay the, the piper down the road through higher taxes, higher inflation, you might as well put yourself in a position, and that's what we do in Freedom Founders, position where you have the best opportunity to be a part of this great wealth transfer. And a great wealth transfer it is going to be. We had it back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And if you knew what you were doing, whether you're in business or your investment capital, if you knew what you were doing, you had access to a network, to the places where the money was moving, you could siphon off a lot of it. And I think we're going to see that opportunity again. So remember, all is not fair in life. And certainly all is not fair in the world of government, politics, and the way money moves. We talked about the fact that we have to have our different buckets of money. We talk about this in Freedom Founders. And you need to have your solid core, what I call have your moat around your solid core investment capital or your business. Uh, have something that's rock solid. You're not shooting for the moon in terms of yield return, but you have the greatest amount of downside risk protection. Probably the most of us have that in our own businesses. And if we're very cognizant about the industry, how we're running our businesses, we have the most control there. But along with control comes taking our time. When we want to be more passive, as we want to do to some degree in investing our money through the access points and freedom founders, then we want to have the ability to be discerning and have certain amounts of our capital, probably the greatest amount, in solid, as stable as possible, with downside risk protection, with solid returns, and an inflation hedge. Now we can take some of our capital and we can put it in more speculative environment if we wish. It's a little bit what Dan called about the professional gambler. A professional gambler who knows what he or she's doing has constraints. They put self-limitations on their ability to speculate or gamble more than they can afford. Well, same thing for us. Whatever our number is, whether that's 2% or 5% or 7% of your capital base, whatever you want to play ball with and put it into 
cryptocurrency, for example, or any other investment that has a higher potential upside, but also has a higher potential for downside risk, then we need to be cognizant of that and make those decisions with intention, not just in a disarray. We talked also about the fact that we're in this very euphoric market, happens every six to eight, nine, 10, 12 years. We're in that market right now where people have forgotten about 2008 and this point of fear of missing out, FOMO, fear of missing out. People are making money here, there, otherwise, and latecomers to the game who don't have a clue as to what they're doing will throw more money after investments that have already run a long tail. That's what we try to help you with in Freedom Founders is discern where your best capital investments are and to keep you away from people who, through just ignorance, negligence, or in some cases, unfortunately, outright fraud, are taking people to the cleaners. And we've got to be very, very careful of that. Lastly, we went back into, again, government manipulation of the markets. In this case, I talked to Dan a little bit about real estate and the fact that government has always incentivized certain parts of the real estate economy, has always incentivized home ownership. Uh, we had first-time homebuyer tax credits that were offered back in 2008. A lot of us uh, took advantage of that. I think Biden has it on par for doing it again. If you want to know how to do that, you're in the right place. We've been there. We've done that. Know how to take advantage of the, those opportunities if they come up. Dan just made the great point of be careful of getting too deep in bed with the government on anything. Even if the government is providing you subsidies, remember there's always strings attached. With the PPP loans this last year, there are strings attached. With the idle loans, there were even more strings attached. You've got just to be careful and understand what you're doing. When you jump in and make investments that are based on big tax incentives, big tax write-offs, big deductions, opportunity zones, for example, you've got to be very wary and realize that the government's doing that for a reason. Now, You've got to know, is there a valid, viable business or investment construct underlying this big sale of tax incentive? Many times there's not. You've got to be very, very careful. But again, people talk about it. People want to save on taxes. And it's that fear of missing out that people jump into far too often and get caught or hoodwinked sometimes because they just didn't know what questions they should be asking. We finished up talking a little bit more about personal sovereignty, independence. It's what we're about here in Freedom Founders. And the fact that we have to decide where we're going to play ball in life. If you want to be big, big company, big business, you want to have multiple locations, for example, if you want to have a DSO, if you want to have a big syndication enterprise, understand that's okay, but do it by intention. You're going to have to have a lot of compliance, a lot of downside risk protection, a lot of legal platforms to play in that league. It's going to come with the territory. If you don't like that, then you can also play under the radar. Be the small ball where the government really doesn't care because you're not the low-hanging fruit. So again, you've got to be intentional about where you want to play. There's not a right or wrong. Just know what you're doing, what you're getting into. Don't do it on a basis where you are ignorant or haven't done your due diligence. All right, that's enough for me. Enjoy this month's recording with Dan Kennedy. Well, Dan, good to talk to you today. I want to jump into a little bit about the overriding topic of the movement of money. This is something that you've talked about, uh, you write about in your books, about the way that money moves and that 
we have opportunities to put ourselves in the pathway of that money, but if we're not careful, that movement can move away from us if we just stay in a, in a model where we get complacent or we think this model is always in working or how that works. Just this week, we've had this major cold front that has come from the north all the way down to the, the south Texas, and uh, Texas, we might think of Texas, Oklahoma might be states that you would think of as being energy independent because we've had uh, you know, reliance on fracking and a great deal of energy. But this, this experiment that we've been working on the last number of years, uh, this new green energy, the renewable energy resources, are not working out so well this week for many in Texas, a state that should have it all together. 2.8 million Texans uh, as of today are without power right now. These big wind turbines uh, that you can see all over the state are frozen right now. They're having to actually use, use helicopters to throw antifreeze on these turbines to try to get them going again. So I think it's ironic, these policies that everybody, not everybody, but so much of the country and, and politicians jump on as being the way to go, and yet these great experiments are put, any of us, in grave danger. Let's dive into that a little bit and some of your, your takeaways from uh, what we're seeing today. I think the frozen wind turbine thing is certainly on one level comedic. There was a piece of shtick in Trump's rally speeches for at least the past year about wind power. His bit was, no, Martha, we can't watch Wheel of Fortune tonight on TV because there's no wind. (laughs) And here you guys are in Texas. I think that there's two kinds of movements of money. There is voluntary, meaning money is moving by its customary governing principles. It's moving by market forces, etc. And there's forced movement of money, which is typically done by governments, sometimes by big business, sometimes by Wall Street manipulation and shenanigans, where money is literally one way or another rounded up and forced to go someplace. Now, that may be solar panels and green energy. It may be subsidizing some kind of economic development in certain areas of certain cities and thereby automatically removing money from other places that it might have done economic development. It may be by government, as you alluded, very political in nature in this administration that is bailing out badly run blue states and punishing successful red states and trying to equalize them. As of now, the China virus relief bill has $50 billion going to New York State alone based on their need, which money never voluntarily moves because of neediness, and it rarely rewards incompetence or malfeasance. So this is money essentially being taken from states that have been financially prudent and well-managed and so forth, and forcing it to go over to a state like New York. What happens historically, sometimes relatively quickly, sometimes relatively slowly, is money won't stay where it is forced to go. It escapes, and it returns to movement based on governing principles and market forces. So even well-intentioned things, if you take Jack Kemp's Opportunity Zone approach to creating economic development in high-poverty and high-crime urban areas, which Trump's team basically adopted. Well, so that 
does move some money into a high poverty, high crime urban area because of false incentives, mostly tax breaks piled on top of bargain property. But it doesn't do anything to address the reasons there was no economic development there in the first place and that money wouldn't go there voluntarily. So it doesn't do anything about the root causes of why that place is an economic development desert. So as soon as the opportunity zone incentives expire, guess what happens? Money leaves. All the money moves. Yeah. All the money moves. Yeah, it starts sneaking out even before then. Right. But it leaves. And so whether this is well-intentioned or not, it almost never holds. It never works. We all acknowledge there's some fundamental human nature that when you try and get people to act differently in conflict with their fundamental human nature, it's a real uphill slog. Right. Well, there, there's a money nature uh, in much the same way. And when you try and get money to behave in a way that is contrary to that nature, it's an uphill slog, and it generally doesn't stick, which is why it's dangerous to the investor. If you aren't discerning about the difference, you can follow money that is being unwillingly moved somewhere. That's been uh, certainly the case. As you said, Trump, with tax reform, jumping on the bandwagon of Jack Kemp's in the opportunity zones. And, of course, any time that something comes out that seemingly on the surface provides some great incentives, the, the tax breaks, because everybody wants to save taxes. Nobody wants to pay taxes. So anytime someone has a shining ball, whether it's created by legislation or there's just some smart operators that have devised some, I'll just call it what it is, you know, a scheme, but they say that, you know, it's IRS approved. I see these all the time, Dan, and they'll sell complexity that will, you know, as workarounds. So whether it's that or opportunity zones, I've always been one, and I think you're the same, is you've got to look at the basis of what the value is. You know, and again, as you said, if there's no real value, if, if it's forced involuntary movement of money based on some incentives, then the real value there is not going to have longevity, and uh, it's going to run its course. So in these cases, Dan, where someone has a business model, you have a business or you have an investment strategy, then what is the best way for the smaller players, the individuals, not the behemoths, the Amazons or Microsoft or Apple that have a, a big marker in the economy, for us as, as smaller individuals, what's our play here with the, with the movement of money? Do we stick by certain principles that would tend to, if we follow those principles, not sway us towards those things? Or is there a way to actually uh, get in the movement of some of this money and take some possible short gains? Is that fruitful or not? Well, so you can have, look, different wealth managers, you different language, but you can divide your financial resources up into different buckets. And one should certainly be Robert Ringer, uh, Winning Through Intimidation and Million Dollar Habits. Robert Ringer always called it the no-touchies. So one bucket is the security bucket, the basic needs bucket where the money is never put in anything that doesn't have a high degree of safety in part tied to underlying assets that can't dissolve so that at least your basic needs are protected. That's one bucket. There's a bucket for what Charles Krautheimer used to call wine, women, and song money. Mm -hmm. That's money you're willing to pee away. 
I have a certain range of that for my owning racehorses. You know, the long-held jokes are the way you make a million dollars as a racehorse owner is you start with three million. (laughs) (laughs) They're the only investment that uh, eats while you sleep. (laughs) Uh, So you can have a wine, women, and song bucket, and you can have a speculative investing bucket. I think of mine as a money hobby. I haven't had a midlife crisis that involved boats or Lamborghinis. So as a money hobby, sure, I will speculate, both short-term and long-term. Like, I like spotting occasionally a really distressed stock that the shareholders have run from en masse, usually because of some temporary event that is either going to go all the way to zero or in short term or in long term is going to rebound. I bought Carnival Cruises the day their Italian ship was capsized and it was all over the news and people were being rescued and hanging upside down and the public sentiment was nobody will ever take a cruise again. Right. I mean, I couldn't wait to get to the phone because people have short memories, especially old people. So they're going to cruise. Same thing is true now, by the way. The cruise lines are booked solid for the fall. They're not sure they're going to be able to do anything with it yet, but, you know, they're booked. So by pure coincidence, I bought AMC two weeks before the GameStop AMC, you know, stuff. And I bought it to hold it. As it turns out, as you know, it was put in play in a game between short sellers and others, and its price inflated dramatically. So you can have a bucket for that. But you should have, and probably your biggest bucket should be, the sort of stubborn, stay the course, tied to very specific personal goals. And money shouldn't be taken out of there to suddenly chase a get-rich opportunity. It shouldn't be taken out of there to chase what may or may not be a momentary fad. Because You should have a set of personal goals you are working methodically toward, and that you don't want to abandon either under the duress of apparent tragedy or under the excitement and exuberance of some big, flashy opportunity or some forced movement of money by temporary incentives. Yeah, well said. So along those lines, there's... As you said, there's the the euphoria, the the fear of missing out that I see so much of that at play with the GameStop, with the AMC, with the short filling, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which people that are playing in that arena, whether it's a a hobby or whatever their focus is, I see many that they're traders. They're not building wealth. They're trying to play on their ability to trade in markets that obviously if, if people didn't see it before now, certainly understand are very much manipulated. And so this fear of missing out because Bitcoin is moving up into into territory that you know has never been seen and people say now it's going to go to whatever $100,000, but it's still just this idea, this this concept has a lot of danger signals for a lot of people. And again, I think it just comes well, back to... Well, you know, I looked, it up, yeah. I looked it up this morning because I was pretty certain it would come up on today's call. <laughs> so in 1871, there was a great diamond hoax, and it started with individuals, but as the shares 
in the non-existent diamond mines rose in value and were sold and resold. The New York investment banks and a bunch of sophisticated investors came in. And along the way, speculators and traders made money in and out. But at the end, as is most often the case, everybody still holding on to a bunch of diamond mine coupons got wiped out. Most people are familiar with the tulip hysteria. Yes. It's been done with postal coupons, paper with no underlying assets used in will-be-kind financial hoaxes. Happens again and again and again and again and again and again. And they gain traction when supposedly highly sophisticated people come in. So, you know, Bitcoin's enormously helped by Musk's buy. Goldman Sachs talking about trading. But this is not, you know, new. This is a movie that has been seen many, 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 many times before. Now, do people make money, as you said, in the run-up? Yes. Is it possible that it survives and turns into something real, that it actually replaces money? It's possible. And if you want to, if you have the resources and you want to make a little bet on that, if it's going to be that big, a little bet will do you fine. So feel free, you know. The odds, the day after the Super Bowl of Tampa Bay repeating next year, the Vegas odds were 11 to 1. Well, for fun, out of my bucket designated for such purposes, I'd bet a future on Tampa Bay winning it again. I don't have to bet a lot at 11 to 1, you know, to have a good day. But if I was still trying to get to safe harbor position and I was not methodically achieving my most important financial goals, and I was screwing around doing that, I'd kind of be an idiot. Dentists are familiar with, and I just had to talk somebody out of something like this again, and you actually become the unwelcome advisor, you know, because you're peeing on somebody's parade. You'll recall there's been a couple of them that have been oral health product multi-levels. Yes. That roared through the dental profession. And I recall at the time trying to talk a well-known coach, practice management guy, a good guy out of putting all his dentists in this thing. And I think the month that I was most stridently warning him, I think his bonus check was 60 some odd thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to dissuade somebody of something that just gave them $60,000. Sure. Just like it's very hard to dissuade people of Bitcoin, especially if they bought it at 3000 <laughs> yeah. and they still have some of it. This is just like the problem with the Green New Deal and the idea that we're going to power America with windmills and solar panels. It's inconvenient information contradicts a narrative that a bunch of people want to believe in and are emotionally invested in. And the best counsel, again, is the some version of the bucket system. So human nature says nobody's going to be able to resist all of the greed and fad and highly speculative opportunities that march through their office. So 
the best thing they can do for themselves is limit their exposure and view it more as trying to be lucky than trying to be good. Because, see, you don't have enough information about investing in wind technology to be good. Right. You don't have enough information about Bitcoin to be good. I mean, I've had people very serious about it fail at explaining it to me. So you aren't going to be good at it. You might be lucky at it, but you don't want your entire financial future requiring luck, not strategy. So I think somebody has to understand what their resource limits are, and they sort of have to create constraints on themselves. It's much the same way you manage time, right? If you only have start times for what you do, and you don't have end times for what you do, time is going to get away from you. Yes. And so you impose constraints. True professional gamblers who are actually successful at gambling have all kind of constraints on themselves, including a loss limit for the day and a win limit for the day. And so you need to place constraints on yourself that are self-supervisory, that allow you some indulgence, but don't allow you to get into trouble. Dan, let me get your insight, your opinion on on housing, since we do a lot of with real estate as investment in Freedom Founders. And I'm talking about, in this case, housing, both from an owner-occupant standpoint and also renters, tenants, primarily would be in single-family dwellings or multifamily apartment complexes. And the way I'm looking at this today is that we've all witnessed what has happened is continued to happen in in all of healthcare, it didn't, it didn't start with the Affordable Health Healthcare Act, but I was kind of like the the seal that put the destiny of healthcare into the public government pur- purview. And obviously, the direction of this current administration and those that are in, in more socialist collective philosophy, they would like nothing better than to control as much of the private sector as possible. Housing, I think, is is the next one, and we've seen. Aspects of that just during COVID with really the moratoriums on evictions and forbearance on foreclosures, uh, particularly if your property is tied anyway to government contracts, insured loans, that kind of thing. Where do you see that kind of a, uh, a movement with what Biden and, and administration and company and those that, <laughs> that are advising him because I don't think he makes this stuff up on his own. I think he just pretty much takes a pen and picks it up every day and signs whatever's put in front of him. But that being said, there's a movement here. What would be some some caveats to those who have built up or relying on still a a strong investment model in that arena? From a large standpoint, you don't have to go into the weeds of it, but just your overall... Well, I mean, look, we'll start with where you ended. I have a very good friend who, one of the big signs he has up in his office, says, if you have to have a government license to do it, don't. Yeah. And, you know, look, there's a lot of truth to that. So when I was involved very early in the introduction of prepay rather than pay-as-you-go in chiropractic, we urged the doctors to simultaneously convert to cash practice only because if you straddled and you were hybrid, you were always getting in trouble. Yeah. But if you divorced yourself from Medicare, Medicaid, and the insurance companies, essentially, you could do any damn thing you wanted to do. And I think that's one way you have to analyze what it is that you are 
doing as a real estate investor because certainly the trend over the next however many years, two, four, six, eight, is going to be more and more government interference where they can. And where they can first and most is where they are already in play. So if you are dependent on them, you are subsidized by them, you are in any way other than your earned tax deductions getting money or credit or credit underwriting from the government, you are inviting government imposing conditions upon you. And so you've got to think that through. Whether you want to have that as a risk factor in your investment business or not, and if so, in what percentage of the total assets of that business. That broad principle or idea is really one of personal sovereignty or independence. It really washes over all businesses and all financial activity is whether prospers entirely on its own merits or whether it prospers only or principally because of manipulations. So government is always about we approve of X and we disapprove of Y. So we will jigger finances, incentives and disincentives in order to favor what we believe is correct and disfavor what we believe is uncorrect. Your tax code is literally that. Largely a lot of social engineering, right? You get tax benefits to have kids and therefore you get tax punished for not having kids. And that's there originally because it was philosophical. Every family, the family unit and every Buddy getting married to have kids was the fabric of society. It stayed there because it's needed to support the Ponzi scheme we call Social Security and Medicare. But your vulnerability is kind of wide open when they are already in bed with you. Would you, would you say, too, Dan, that also the vulnerability would be predicated by how small or large a footprint you have? In other words, government as I see it, wants to consolidate as much as possible and deal with as few larger players as they can. Healthcare, for example, I think same thing with housing. If you were part of a conglomerate with one of your buckets of money that still dealt in a certain sector, you might have a little bit more leverage perhaps than a smaller mom and pop who I see the mom and pops of any industry out there today are being hurt very much. I mean, number one, because they don't have the economic margins. They didn't build the margins in place. They don't have the systems in place. What's happened this last year has really hurt them. And again, so there's consolidation going on just by that fact. But I think the government overall is, you know, would, would rather just see small entrepreneurs just be out of business, period, and just go get a W-2 paycheck. Well, look, I think there's two sides to that coin. But you're absolutely right that fundamentally socialist or worse, even socialist light regimes do not match up well with large numbers of independent people of any kind, including small business owners and small independent investors, running around loose. Yeah. The preference historically, and I think the preference that has been shown here, has always been fundamentally five of everything. No more than five banks, no more than five 
hospital chains, no more than five this, that, or the other thing, sometimes even less. And so you wind up with a kind of a sanctioned ogliarch system, and it's much easier to manage than, you know, Charles de Gaulle said about France, any country with 200 different kinds of cheese is ungovernable. Right. Well, you should have tried to govern America, <laughs> right? right. I mean, so it's messy, and that's why there was a lot of, during the Obama administration, forced consolidation of banks. Your small independent banks were selling out. People were cashing in their stock and getting off the boards because the pressure was on to either get bigger or by acquisition or to be acquired. Right. But the independent local bank with four branches in the small community, the entire system was rigged, if you will, to push them out of business. That was alleviated with Trump, and a lot of the small banking community gave a big sigh of relief, and a bunch settled back down and began to build their businesses and say no to acquisition. And But all of that is, you know, that game is afoot again immediately. So, yes, if you are of a certain size, if you are part of something that is of a certain size, it has more lobbying and more negotiating and a certain level of protection than not. The other side of that coin is you can be small enough that you're almost too small to bother with for a long time. Right. And, you know, you're sort of, to use cliches, under the radar, gee, we got bigger fish to fry. We'll get around to that later. It's the middle that you know, starts to have real trouble. And I think, you, you know, there's decisions to be made about all that. Do we get big? Do we go together in consortiums and bigger deals? Do we stay small? Do we intentionally stay small and focus on more from fewer and less? Yes. You know, do we focus on margin and not growth of size and scope? And I, you have to consider, it's a shame that you do, but you have to consider government policy and likely government policy in making those decisions. Just as you consider other sort of risk factors, you know, as an investor, you consider your own age, you consider your health, you consider whether you're concerned about legacy or not, on and on and on. This is another consideration. Those are great questions that you just posed there in the last minute. Everything has to be done with intentions today. Nothing can be done just ad whim or ad hoc without some potential risk out there. Well, Dan, thanks for your time today. As always, great insights, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, sir.